Recently I was in Victoria's high country on assignment and I met up with Mansfield couple Rob and Lisa Diebel of Triquare Estate, which turned out to be a magnificent property overlooking the Mansfield Valley for miles around. And it's somewhere you can have a farm stay, uh, a ucamp.com, inexpensive camping or caravan stay on Magical High Country Bluff, or you can go up in a hot air balloon, as Rob is also an experienced pilot and he's the co-owner of Gold Rush Ballooning. Uh, welcome to Travel Riders Radio, Rob. Oh, hi, Graham. How are you? Yeah, really good, thanks. Now, Traquair, where, where's that name come from for a start? Uh, originally, Traquair comes from Scotland, and uh, it's one of the uh, oldest inhabited uh, bed and breakfasts in Scotland. Um, and it's also in a township called Mansfield. So um, Traquair Estate, which is which is our farm, was originally named by uh, the gentleman that uh, built our property. Um, he grew up in the grounds of Traquair in Scotland. Oh, okay. And, um, yeah. Well, yeah. that's fascinating. Now, Rob, um, you've got a multi-purpose uh, tourism operation going on there, you and uh, and your wife, Lisa. Um what what we saw obviously was a fantastic uh, bluff that you've got on on your property that overlooks this tremendous valley. Just explain to the listeners that like we were on the three hundred and sixty degree almost view of uh, the local area. We couldn't see Buller that was hidden behind a little hill at the back of us. But what what can you see from your particular property? Well, I mean, with, we're, we're quite central to the, the Mansfield Valley and um, from, from where we, you know, the, the ridge line or the little bluff there, we, we've got those 360-degree views. So we can see all the way um, north um, up towards Tolmy and then you can see all the way down towards the Paps and then even around to uh, um, sort of the northern side of the, the township of Mansfield itself. Um, so, so the, yeah, the views there are sensational. It's oh, yeah. great. And the sun rises and the sun sets. They are, and, and uh, it was almost the sort of land that, you know, you would find in a public lookout. And, and here it was. It's virtually at your back door at the property. Now, the interesting thing about that is uh, I was talking to your wife a little bit earlier today, and she said you're part of a movement called com, which basically provides uh, very low-fee camping opportunities for people. Now, we had a couple of caravans up there for the exercise I was engaged in, um, and we parked them right up on the bluff. So people who want to um, get away from it all but still be within civilization, but have their own facilities, obviously you don't have toilets, you don't provide power, um, how does that actually work? Do you show them where to go? Yeah, so what we, what we can offer is is um, that sort of ability to camp five minutes from town. So still have all the facilities they need to be close to town, but um, but give you sort of the feeling that you are, um, you know, out in the sticks and there's there's nobody else to be seen. So the ability to to camp there and you you know you can either bring your caravan or your tent and uh, and camp with a you know with with the great views and it's it's just very it's very basic but very uh, very accessible. Yeah, well, we were there doing some late-night shooting and uh, trying to sort of capture a starscape, I suppose would be the way to put it. So we were there after the sun had gone down. We watched it go down over uh, over the, a pair of uh, hills down on the on the distance, and yep. uh, that, that was pretty magnificent. And We did one night have an interesting encounter with some flying ants, but you're telling me that that only happens <laughs> like once or twice a year. We were just stiff, were we? 
Yeah, that was that was the night too, and uh, um, I think you noticed the second night there was a, a lot less, and then we haven't had any since. I've been up there almost most nights, and it just happened to be that one night that the uh, the flying ants were, uh, were out in the bed. Yeah, I mean they didn't bite me. I know some of the girls were a bit concerned about it, uh, but I did find one in my hair the next morning, which sort of disconcerted me a little bit. But anyway, that was just a one-off. I I have to uh, I have to mention it because it did happen. Um, yeah, yep. but uh, other. Otherwise, it was magnificent. It was quiet. Uh, you know, you couldn't even hear nearby neighbours, uh, um, you know, doing what neighbours do. Um, mm. it, it, it was a terrific area. And the, the gum trees uh, that you've got up there are some of the most magnificent specimens I've seen. Are they um, – what type of gums are they? Do you know, Rob? Yeah, they're all river reds. Right. Okay. Um, and the, the whole the whole property there, uh, all the gum trees, uh, they're all you know hundreds of years old, you know, and, and the river reds are amazing. They're beautiful trees. Yeah, they they certainly look hundreds of years old. You don't see them that scale anywhere uh, in the in the suburbs. Now, Rob, you've also got a farm stay property, um, and how does that operate? Um, so that you can you can jump onto uh, you know there's various booking websites that you can go to and and what we do is we just open up the the farm stay and and we've got you know a lovely cottage there and and uh, people can you know either you know it's a romantic weekend or a family getaway and um, you can come and stay and sort of get that farm feel and and uh, you can pat the animals and you know the alpaca and and the sheep and the goats and and those sorts of things and we just try to offer that to uh, you know city folk if they like, or or anybody just wants to you know relax and and not hear the you know the noise of the you know a bustling city or whatever it might be. So it's 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 yeah it's it's just a lovely getaway. Yeah, and the uh, of course we were working uh, uh, as what we do. Some people might think it's a bit of a bludge, but uh, we were working and it was a great environment in which uh, for us to do the photography that we needed to do. Um, and to tell the travel stories that uh, you know that we needed to tell. Um, now you're full of surprises because you also told me that you're a, you fly balloons. You're a balloon pilot. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I've been been playing with balloons now for well, twenty odd years, and and um, it's it's kind of been my uh, my full time job, um, which is you know. Um, I've been pretty lucky. It's taken me all over Australia and all over the world flying balloons. So, yeah, great o- occupation. Yeah, well, I've been a bit. I've been lucky. I've been up in uh, Alice Springs a couple of times. Uh, I'm not sure if I've been in the Yarra Valley, but I know they're there. I didn't realise they were up in the High Country. Uh, so, tell us about the the business. Is it, uh, you're the operator, are you? Yeah, yeah. So myself and uh, another gentleman own the business, um, and he's actually over in the Atacama Desert setting up a balloon business over there in um, South America. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So in the driest, driest part of the world and, and at high altitude. So uh, Gold Rush Ballooning, we operate uh, both Mansfield and uh, in the King Valley. Right, um, and we're the only only commercial operators um, in this area that will uh, we can offer uh, um, balloon flights. Right, so do you don't take off from your own property, do you? No, I do. Yes, yeah. yeah. If the if the wind conditions are uh, suitable on the uh, on that particular day, then uh, yeah, I'll certainly uh, take off there. And and if I'm even flying back into that way, I'll I'll land on my property if I need to. Oh, that's handy. Uh, obviously, not far to pick people up. And uh, that bluff I'm talking about that we parked these caravans on, what that'd be a couple of hundred meters up, would it, from the yeah. valley floor? 
yeah, yeah. It's it's um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I sort of tend to talk more in feet than meters, but yeah, yeah it's um, yeah, it's you know, it gives you a nice uh, elevated view of the valley. So oh, it does. I took some mm. photos while I was there, and uh, although you don't see photos in three D, uh, it certainly was a terrific, uh, terrific outlook there. And I know the photographer that we had with us. She was flying drones and all sorts of things. Uh, she thought it was a magnificent location, which clearly, <laughs> which clearly it is. Uh, so you're very lucky to to live there, Rob, and yet be so close to town. You wouldn't be ten minutes out of town, would you? Yeah, spot on. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's only a very short drive. So, and and that's and that certainly is uh, part of the big attraction of the of the property is um, you know people wanting to stay. They can get that feel that they're out in the country and away from everything and everybody else, but yet be you know really close to town if they need to shoot in and and grab uh, um, supplies. Yeah, I know. We got out of town before the mad rush coming in. We were heading uh, in the other direction when everybody was on the road to Mansfield. Uh, I believe the town swells from four or 5,000 people to 50,000. Yeah, and I mean, and it's getting busier and busier. I mean, um, you know, since uh, we, we got decent water back in Hilden, and, um, so it's busy for, you know, people going water skiing and, you know, water sports. And then and then during winter, you've got Buller. So, you know, if you're into your snow sports. So um, we certainly, especially on the long weekends and any of those those busy uh, holiday periods, the, the town gets uh, um, a lot of visitors. Yeah, well, it's the high country, as they call it up there, and I guess and uh, it used to be mountain mountain cattleman country a little bit. But what do you run on your farm, uh, Rob? So we we have, um, and it changes through depending on on seasons and things like that. But we generally run um, cattle of some sort, whether it be Black Angus or or Herefords or or something like that. Yeah. Right. So it's a working, it's a real working farm. Yeah, well, well. Oh, look, I think it's a terrific opportunity for people, and we, of course, uh, it's not. I don't think it's very widely known, to be honest with you, what you're what you're offering up there. So I'm very happy to to uh, tell the world about uh, what you've got up at Traquair. Now, if people want to get in touch, Rob, what's the best way to do that? Uh, they can either they can either just go to the Traquair uh, Estate website and they can get in touch with us directly. Um, on Facebook, we're on Facebook as well. Okay. Um, so those, those ones are, you know, the standard. Okay, so I probably should spell it as T-R-A-Q-U-A-I-R, au. Well, Rob Diebel, thank you so much for, for your hospitality when we visited. You very kind of loaned us some knives and forks that we could eat with. That was good. <laughs> Pleasure. Uh, and uh, you had a beer with us, so that was fun too. Uh, good luck up there, mate, and uh, you've got a wonderful property, and, and I hope uh, lots of visitors come and uh, fill your coffers. Uh, lovely to talk to you, Graham. Thank you. And that was Rob Diebel of Traquair Estate near Mansfield with Graham Camlow. You're listening to The Travel Writers Show on Jair 87.8 FM. First up today, though, we've got all the travel news that you can use.
The Emirate of Dubai has achieved a record 4.7 million international overnight visitors in the first quarter of 2018. That's up 2% on the same period last year. Dubai's top 10 source markets contributed a share of almost 60% of total tourist volumes, and three of four visitors were families and couples, with individuals making up 14%, friends 8%, colleagues 3% of total numbers. The vast majority, more than 70% of tourists, traveled to Dubai for leisure purposes with those visiting friends and relatives making up almost 14% of the total and business travellers 11%. Most stayed in hotels, spending an average 7.6 days there and 97% visited the Dubai Mall. Acor Hotels this month will open a Maldives resort with the world's first semi-submerged underwater art installation. The Fairmont Maldives Siro Fushi on the... Shaviani Atoll in North Maldives features one of the country's largest resort lagoons and Maldives' first coral regeneration project forms an underwater art installation created by celebrated underwater naturalist and artist Jason DeCarries Taylor. The resort's 120 villas, villas, each with a private pool, are set in a lush jungle with flora, fauna and surrounded by powder-white sand beaches and abundant sea life. Families and couples are welcome. The New York Times is reporting that the central Philippine island resort of Barokai has banned tourists for six months from last week. However, the island's 40,000 residents are questioning the decision by President Rodrigo Duterte to close the tourism hotspot for health reasons. The president reportedly has called it an environmental cesspool and he's moved troops in. But tourism is the residents' main income source. Last year, Barokai attracted a record 2 million tourists who spent more than 1 billion US dollars. Virgin America has flown its last flight as a $2.6 billion takeover by Alaska Airlines was complete last week. However, locally, Virgin Australia has taken out most of the airline awards in the annual Freddie Awards voted on by frequent flyers. Virgin Australia's frequent flyer program was named Oceania's Program of the Year, Best Elite Program, Best Customer Service and Best Redemption Ability. And in more airline news, first-class passengers are reportedly stealing luxurious blankets offered to those up front, and the airlines are getting sick of it. United Airlines has offered bedding from Saks Fifth Avenue, but has warned cabin crew about their popularity as souvenirs and asked them to ensure it stays on board when everyone deplanes. The issue has also affected British Airways and American Airlines. Now United has added some of the bedding to its on-light shop, uh, in-flight shop, where a Saks Fifth Avenue duvet can be ordered in-flight for 60 US dollars. And US research company Forward Keys studies millions of flight bookings and can predict future travel patterns, which it says have resulted in a substantial underperformance in travel to the US since Donald Trump announced his travel bans. The company said inbound travel to the U.S. fell 6.5% since the ban was first announced, something the industry refers to as the Trump slump. While global international travel rose 5% over the past 15 months, the U.S. was down 1.4%. Some good news in the future forecast, though, for the May 1st to July 31st period. Flight bookings to the U.S. are 2.9% ahead of the equivalent period in 2017. But this must be seen against global bookings, which are 5.9% up on the 2017 period. Fort Keys is not blaming Trump, saying exchange rates have been challenging as the value of the English pound and the euro appreciated 
13% and 16% respectively against the US dollar, so the US became a significantly more expensive destination. And that's the travel news for this week. You're listening to The Travel Writers Show on Air 87.8 FM. Because, of course, we're going to Tasmania. Megan Gerard has degrees in journalism and law, but rather than join a newspaper, she became a digital nomad globetrotting with her husband and photographer, Mike. Megan has just been to Frasenay Lodge in northeastern Tasmania, and she reports on her stay in the lodge, which is operated by the Royal Automobile Club of Tasmania and is unique, being situated inside the Frasenay National Park. She spoke with Graham Camelot earlier. Uh, welcome back, Megan. Thanks for having me back. Well, it's you know we, we're happy to have someone with a professional approach to uh, storytelling, which is what you are. Now you've just been up to Frasenay Lodge, which is a beautiful part of, of Tasmania. Tell us a little bit about your, your recent visit up there. Yes, we have. So Frasenay Lodge has recently opened brand new coastal pavilions, um, which is incredible. Um, is an incredible addition to the eco accommodation that they've got there. So we were very excited to kind of check out these. A pavilion is basically a cabin um, in obviously an eco-friendly setting. So when it comes to eco-accommodation, I'm sure everyone can imagine the general type of eco-lodges that you would expect. So for instance, you've got rustic accommodation in pristine natural surrounds, but these new coastal pavilions at Freysenay have really just kind of pushed the boundaries of what you would expect an eco-lodge to be. There are actual I guess you could describe it as an architectural gem. They're so sleek and so sophisticated that it's just easy to get, forget that it, the accommodation is actually good for the environment. So we were really excited to get down there and check them out and spend some time in these new luxury cabins that overlook Great Oyster Bay. Yeah, I, I suppose the first thing to say about Freysenay Lodge is that it is inside the National Park, isn't it? It is, and that was one of the reasons why we're really excited to stay there because we obviously wanted to travel down to see Wineglass Bay is one of the big attractions in the area. We did the five-hour hike, which um, does a circuit loop. So you hike up to the Wineglass Bay lookout, which is kind of a 40-minute scramble. You have to do a lot of rock climbing. Which yeah, I got that far, Megan. <laughs> that's as far <laughs> as I got. <laughs> and that's the thing. A lot of people do kind of – there's so many people up there. So you get to the lookout and – you do have to share the view. That's definitely something to keep in mind. But then everybody seems to go back to the car park after that because if a lot of people are doing day trips, they drive in, they do the hike up, and then they um, kind of walk back to the car park and head home. Now, but did yeah, you so just we... – sorry, Megan. Did you just do this with uh, with your husband or did you have a guide? No, I did this with my husband. So it's a very easy area to explore independently, which is right. something else we love because we love kind of taking it at our own time and the freedom of yeah. flexibility of yeah being able to do the kind of stuff that you want and kind of go off track a little bit if you want to or spend an extra 10 minutes taking a photo of wallabies if you want to. So mm. we really love the independence of that. And there's beautiful um, yeah. big boulders up there on the top of this lookout, aren't there? Pink boulders, if I remember. Yes, there are. So it's just, it's a really stunning national park and I guess that's the one thing that we really loved about Freysenay Lodge is that you just have unfettered access to the National Park and you mm -hmm. can spend all day there. You don't have to worry about kind of having to drive home at the end of the day. You can just spend all day. So we did the five-hour loop, which is a huge track, and after you get past the lookout, everyone kind of disappears because the tourists head up to Wineglass Bay Lookout. They snap their photos. There was actually a wallaby up there. I felt so sorry for the poor thing because there were oh. maybe 10 or 15 people around it just kind of surrounding it like 
paparazzi. Um, right. But yeah, everyone then heads home, um, whereas we took the track down to the actual beach itself um, and then did a loop around towards Hazard Beach. And it's just incredible having that amount of time to really explore the area and really kind of head off the beaten path and get away from the big crowds. So we really love staying at the lodge for that access and just having the time to kind of spend in the national park. Yeah. Now the lodge, it's a full on uh, accommodation facility. It, I mean, it sounds like uh, you, know, you do your own thing, but uh, it is a hotel essentially, isn't it? It is. Yes. So the coastal pavilions are kind of new. There are nine of them at the moment. Um, but the actual lodge itself is, it has kind of a lot of different standards of cabins. So it has family, family style cabins and there are a lot of different room styles that you can choose from. Um, and then on site, there are kind of three different restaurants. So there's a bar if you're looking to go and get some drinks kind of after a long day of hiking. There's then a fine dining restaurant, which overlooks Great Oyster Bay and has your gourmet food. Um, and then there's a more casual bistro um, if you're just kind of looking for a casual meal at the end of the day. With the Coastal okay. Pavilions, what was really great too is they actually um, have a big focus on kind of local Tasmanian cuisine. And you can yep. order platters to be bought to your room if you like or a continental breakfast to be bought to you. So yeah, there's a wide range of kind of options for it's basically everything you need is within the lodge itself. Okay. I, I remember last time we stayed there, there was an activities uh, desk and uh, we did some really interesting things. Uh, you talked about your walk to Wine Guys Bay. I know one of the things they offered was uh, a sort of a guided walk and it was over a few days. I think it was like three days and it went further away from Wineglass Bay than I think you did and ended up that a boat would come and set up your lunch and your dinner and your overnight accommodation on the beach somewhere around there. Did, was that uh, offered to you? We have, they have a lot of different walks. We didn't hear about that one specifically, but the National Park does have kind of literally everything you could want from kind of, I guess, like a half-day walk or a full-day walk. Um, we were only there for two days, so we really wanted to do this hazards loop, so we didn't really ask for much information in that sense. But, yeah, there is, you're right, there is a concierge desk, and they've got everything from kind of quad bike tours. We saw scenic flights off of there. A lot of people were going to the desk to ask about kayaking kind of around the place. So I wouldn't be surprised if there was kind of multi-day hikes that you can do as well. And they offer so many cool like perks and extras, as you said, like setting up your lunch on the beach after you've hiked and that kind of thing. Kayaking was really cool. And like there's also you can kayak down at Richardson's Beach is a beach that the lodge is also on. There's a lot of different areas within the National Park, like Wine Glass Bay is obviously the big attraction, the big iconic kind of thing that people go to see. But there's a lot more to the national park than just one glass bay and with these kind of activities that you can head out on like quad bikes or taking a flight or jumping in the kayaks you get to see a lot of the national park which we thought was really cool yeah and you can uh, there's a little town there isn't there yes so coles bay is located right there so it's very close um, and yeah you can kind of head out and explore that further as well if you'd like to mm. and of course the other property there that's uh gaining some world uh, renown is uh, the six star property that was built by um, the federal group or pure tasmania i think they call themselves that's called sapphire with an f uh, did you did you see that across coles bay yeah so we drove past that um we didn't really kind of see the lodge itself there but i have heard about it and it's supposed to be quite spectacular as well yeah yeah, and, and uh, you know, it's in that international group of lodges like Kangaroo Island and uh, some of the others in Australia that 
that do get a lot of visitors, a lot of American visitors um, like these high-end lodges. Um, and, and look, Freysonet is not out of the picture at all, but it's just not a six-star property, I don't think, is it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like we haven't personally stayed in their kind of regular everyday cabins that um, the general lodge itself and the majority of the cabins were built in the 1990s. But yeah. I would definitely say that these new coastal pavilions, which have, they've just um, established and just opened, I would definitely say that they would probably be competing for that kind of six-star status because they're okay. just these incredible works of architectural design that it's kind of everything is made completely from timber. You have floor-to-ceiling windows and a big emphasis on drawing the wilderness in. So it's right. kind of it's in this it's in a curved shape and has lots of beautiful lines. There are actually no corners in the coastal pavilions, which I thought was a cool little fun fact. Mm. Um, because I think the designers, the emphasis was to design them based on the landscape around it. So it's been based, all of the curves and designs have been made based on the granite, um, the hazard mountain range, um, yep. and just the landscape outside. So the color palette they've done is really well put together too. It really feels like you have this kind of luxury comfort inside, but it does feel like you're part of the landscape, which is okay. incredible. And do, do the rooms have things like spas in them? Yeah, so there's not a spa, but there is an outside bathtub, which was quite a fun little perk after we'd kind of been five hours hiking. You could come I back bet. and they have, yeah, they have a um, tub outside on a timber deck and you can just kind of sit back and put okay. your bath salts in and enjoy some wine. Yeah. Oh, well, I did that um, in one of the other rooms you've talked about. Maybe they've replaced the room that I stayed in because it was waterfront basically, but it had a big spa. I was there on my own on a, on a uh, journos trip. Um, and there was a bottle of Ninth Island Pinot Noir, which is beautiful Pinot from down there. Um, I didn't have the spa. I just sort of cracked the bottle of Ninth Island and drank it over two days. But look, it was a great, uh, it, it was a great spot to stay. And uh, I've actually been there on a conference as well. So I've seen it from, you know, both sides, from sort of a journalistic perspective, but also from a working conference. And it does work uh, very well as a destination if you've got a group of people who are interested in going uh, somewhere like that. It's one of yeah. those properties where you, so you go in, we drove into reception and when you pick up the key and then it's one of those properties that is really well spread over the landscape. So they give you a map and then they tell you where your parking spot is and you can actually drive up and then you kind of take little beautiful boardwalks into the actual forest area and kind of your cabins are set up throughout there. So you, you don't notice the other people up there much, I, I found. And I've been there a couple of times, as I said. So, yeah, a great a great spot. And uh, would you go back again? Yeah, absolutely. We um, The only regret we have is not spending enough time there. So, yeah, um, yeah I'd love to get back. We spent two nights. Um, okay. And that was pretty much just enough time to... Because the, the pavilions are so incredible that you don't really want to leave. They have all these fun extras in the cupboards there. So they have binoculars, they have birding guides, they have yoga mats they have everything that you could possibly want to not want to leave so yeah we spent the first day slash evening just hanging around the pavilion itself because it has an incredible view there's that bathtub i mentioned they bring food to your room they have instead of the normal railings that you would have on a deck they have these really funky cargo nets that they've put around which also blends in really well to the landscape but it acts as a really fun hammock so oh. yeah they've really set them up really well so i would oh. say if you can spend more than two nights definitely go for it now, um, it's part of the Royal Automobile Club of Tasmania group of properties, some of which they got from 
Pure Tasmania when uh, when the group sold off some properties. How did you find them to deal with? Yeah, absolutely excellent. So RAC team members actually are offered a discount, and the, they have um, the lodge offers. I believe it's a twenty five percent discount on accommodation for us RAC team members. And um, I've got but, a feeling that might apply to Victorian members too. I think they work together, RACV yeah, so and RACT. So I think there's a 15% discount for interstate and international auto club members. So they still offer a really great discount. Good on you, Megan. Thanks for checking in again with us at Travel Riders Radio. Thanks for having me. It sounds like fun. And that was Megan Gerard on a visit to Freytonet Lodge. She spoke with Graham Kemlo. Thank you, Sharon. The next great conspiracy. New Zealand is disappearing off world maps. Disappearing. It's all over the internet. I mean, Your Majesty, I'll keep this brief. New Zealand is being left off world maps all over the world. I'm sure there is a reasonable explanation. I don't think so. I've been searching the internets for the last 30 seconds and it's everywhere. This is a major conspiracy. I'm going to get behind it. By that, I, I don't mean support it. I'm going to actually, you know, sort of get in behind it. Not in a rude way. I'll, I'll go around the side of it. But I'm going to search it out. I'm going to study it. Leave it with me, my lady. Zealand. Where the bloody hell are you? Australia. They're stealing our tourists. Our wine. Sacre bleu. Sneaky Frenchies. You missed it off by accident. Are you sure? Or is England trying to get rid of the All Blacks once and for all? It was fast. Of course, Your Highness. Jacinda is fine, Reese. Listen, this is big. Bigger than we thought. Bigger than the moon landing and Loch Ness combined. Which, by the way, is one of my theories, that those things are combined. Now, look, I've boiled it down to a few things. Australia wants our tourists, England want to get rid of the All Blacks, and the wine industry, they can't beat Alpino or Sav. Are you sure? Well, I do have one more theory. We're quite a fiddly-looking shaped country, a bit like a, a half-eaten lamb chop. Perhaps people are just leaving us off, thinking we're a mistake. Reese, I've got to go. Well, you, I know, you're short of time. OK. Now, do you want me home to report back to the nation? Because I can be there in three movies and a meal. Look, Reese, you might be on to something, but we're going to need some help. How's things, anyway? What's the buzz on the beehive? Well, it might be Hello? slightly uh, tongue-in-cheek, as the Kiwis point the finger at Australia, at France, at England... And they reckon we've stolen their tourists. But they've issued this media statement, uh, Adeline. Yeah, it's called hashtag get New Zealand on the map or get NZ on the map. 
And here it is. It seems there's a growing collection of maps throughout the world that have one glaringly obvious omission. That's New Zealand. With international news channels, the likes of BBC, Condé Nast Travel and The Telegraph getting wind of the situation and a social channel discussion board with almost 40,000 members in full swing, it's little wonder the news is spreading and theories are abound. From the world map on Getty Stock Photo Library, Shutterstock to the Souvenir Globe at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum, it seems little old New Zealand is nowhere to be seen. And then there's the television weather reports, board games, coffee shops, world globes, and not to mention Central Park Zoo. Now, for a country that's bigger in land area than the UK and more than two-thirds the size of Japan or Germany, a landmass that includes a lake around the same size as Singapore has a mountain chain that's bigger than the entire European Alps and more coastline than California, Alaska and Florida all rolled up together. It's unfathomable New Zealand has been accidentally missed off. Well, a growing collection of New Zealand fans are convinced it must be a global conspiracy to deliberately leave New Zealand out of the picture and are keen for answers. PM Jacinda Ardern is in the loop and has appointed LA-based Kiwi actor and comedian Riz Darby to investigate possible conspiracy theories offshore. There are hundreds of reasons why New Zealand is most definitely on the world map, so it's time to get to the bottom of why it's missing and set things straight. Hashtag GetNZ on the map. Now, New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern explains how they first heard about these world map misses. We first heard about this map situation, besides from Rhys calling me up, from a bunch of international news channels such as BBC, Condé Nast Traveller, plus some pretty entertaining Reddit and Tumblr blogs. It's been around for a while, but I think now is the time to put it to bed. However, the Kiwi PM does explain that there's a serious side to this tongue-in-cheek issue. New Zealand missing off-world maps is definitely a bit of fun, but it's also a little bit serious when tourism is our largest export industry and directly employs 7.5% of the workforce. We have a whole world of potential visitors out there who really need to know where to find us or they're going to miss out on all of the great things that we have to offer. Yeah, well, I reckon that's a campaign that might actually work. Adeline, what do you think? I think so, and I think Tasmania's taking notes. Yeah, well, Tassie gets left off our, our, our map. In fact, I think I said to you when I went to the Outback Steakhouse, which isn't really Aussie, in Hawaii, first thing I saw, map of Australia, no Tassie. I said to these guys, are you fair to come Australian? They said, oh, yeah, and I said, well, you better fix the map. You know? And he realised I was an Aussie. <laughs> anyway, uh, Obviously yeah, not from Tasmania. I think the fact that the Kiwis prepared to take the mickey out of themselves like this yeah. and get the PM involved, I can't, don't know if I can imagine Malcolm doing this. He might. And using some comic who's uh, obviously a Kiwi, the way he pronounces things. So I'm going to give a big tick to New Zealand for this. I think the Kiwis have learned that humour is the way to go. I mean, just look at their in-flight um, announcement video. Yeah, yeah, the safety videos yeah, are which fun, is made, funny too. Which has won them awards, you know, yeah. it's, given, it's given them a lot of mileage. So good old Kiwis, let's give them a, a rousing cheer for this as we uh, draw our program to a close uh, tonight. You're listening to The Travel Writers Show on J Air 87.8 FM.